you're turning there, I wonder if there's anybody that's got a word of testimony on your heart or anything that you need to say or do uh, before we get into the preaching this morning. Anybody, anything you need to do? Amen, Brother Gary. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen, Brother Gary. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else got anything you need to say or do? It's the Lord's time. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's right. That's right. Anybody else? Word of testimony on your heart. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? God's time. Just want to be mind the Lord and be sensitive to what the Lord would have for us to do. All right, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12. It's February. Of course, uh, recognized around the world really is the month of love, romance, and all those sorts of things, Valentine's Day. And uh, Lord willing, in April, I'm going to be uh, preaching at a marriage conference for uh, a church that uh, I'm friends with. And so uh, a few months ago, I never have done a marriage conference. And uh, so a few months ago, I, I really wanted it to be good. Because it's something I feel passionately about. I feel very passionately about God builds churches through families. And I'm telling you, before there was anything else, there was a family. Before there was government, before there was anything else, there was a family. And I'm passionate about it. And so I, I thought, man, I'm going to go ahead and get a, a head start on it. Really get, put, put things together. And I bought up a bunch of books, I ordered a bunch of books, got to reading everywhere I could read, and just nothing. Every book I read, it's like, this ain't, I don't, this, I don't like it. Move on to something else, I don't like it. Well, I'm riding down the road one day, and as God often does, out of the blue, he brought this thought to my mind, and a series of thoughts, 
And uh, so I said, well, I'll preach that in that marriage conference. Well, uh, over the last couple of weeks, as we've been heading into February, it became increasingly clear to me that God wanted me to preach it during the month of February here at the church and preach about marriage. Uh, you say, well, you've already preached on the home uh, this year. Uh, but I'm telling you, and I felt very definitely that the Lord wants me to deal with stronger families this whole year. You're going to hear it the whole year. Uh, because uh, we need strong families. Well, God got to moving in my heart. Maybe he'll let me preach it during that marriage conference too. I don't know. But he got to moving on my heart about marriages in Genesis. And uh, man, I got to seeing some things. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord just showed them to me. I'm telling you, sometimes you read them out of a book. God, God will show them to you that way. But then sometimes the Lord just shows you stuff. And uh, the book of Genesis is separated into two parts. So the first part is four major events. You've got creation, you've got the floods, you've got the fall, and you've got the Tower of Babel. That's the first half up through the 11th chapter of Genesis. That's the first part of Genesis is those four major events. Then the last whole uh, section of Genesis deals with four major characters or four major men. And that is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And the rest of Genesis deals with those four men. I was riding up the road thinking about that. And the Lord brought it to my mind about how the Bible tells us about all of those men. But not only about the men, but also about their wives and about their marriages. Now that's an anomaly. Because typically in the scripture, I think every, all of us could agree that the majority of Bible heroes, I'm going to read my scripture in a minute, I ain't forgot it. The majority of Bible heroes are men. They just are. That's just, yeah, I didn't make it. I, I didn't make it up. I'm just telling you how it is in the Bible. The majority are men. And for the most part, we don't know a lot about their wives. Think uh, about Joshua, for instance. Joshua made what may have been the most famous statement concerning the family in all the Bible. He said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Yet tell me who Joshua's wife is. You ain't got no idea. <coughs> That's a lot of speculation about who it was. A lot of people believe it was Rahab, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. Think about, if you will, Noah. Noah saved the entire earth and all its generation and all its families, but nobody knows what, what Noah's wife's name was. Think about Peter. We know from the Bible that Peter had a wife because he had a mother-in-law. But tell me, if you would, who Peter's wife was. It's not in the Bible. And yet here in the book of Genesis... God gives us these four major men and he also gives us a detail about their wives and beyond that, a detail of their marriages. And I think God is trying to show us something in this anomaly. When you see something that is out of the ordinary in the Bible, it's almost always out of the ordinary for a reason. So I want us to preach, I'm going to preach all through uh, February with the Lord's helper. And being my helper, I'm going to preach 
on marriage in Genesis. We're going to start this morning with uh, Abraham and Sarah. Now let me say this. I'll just, I'll just give you just a few things by way of introduction, then I'm going to read my text and preach my message. First of all, can I say to everyone in here about marriage, what we're going to learn from these patriarchs is that marriage is often crazy. <laughs> hey, there you go. Colton, y'all pray for him. He ain't going to eat no supper tonight. His mouth's going to be swelled shut. Hey, but that's true, right? Marriage. And you know, to me, it's an encouragement. What I'm going to show you over the next few weeks is that these old patriarchs, they had trouble in their marriages too. I mean, they're the champions of the faith. Had trouble in their marriages. And so it's nothing new. Everybody, marriage is any, any relationship. Anytime you take two humans and put them together, what you got is a mess. Relationships are messy. They're up and down, in and out. So we're going to think about that. Then we see that marriage requires communication. We're going to talk about that a little bit today and how that, that, that there was a communication between Abraham and Sarah. But then let me say this. Marriage deserves a commitment. Marriage deserves a commitment. In other words, if you want to stay married, you're going to have to commit to it. So I want us to look at Abraham and Sarah this morning. Now I ask, I ask uh, Wilma when she come in this morning how long her and Clarence had been married. And I believe she said 56 years, 57 years. And when she said that, Clarence went, whew. <laughs> 57. Now, my mom and dad, they're not here today because dad's had that radiation. It started really affecting him. See, I'll pray for him. But my mom and dad, they've been married 58 years. Anybody in here married longer than 58 years? 57, 58 years. Feels like it. <laughs> Jen said it feels like an eternity. <laughs> so all you younger couples... You look at Wilma and Clarence. Here they are, still married, still in love. Clarence is 86, something like that. 87, still works the garden, gets in his wood, does all that stuff. What's the key to that? What's the key to that? Did you know there was a study that was done by Harvard they followed a bunch of young men and they followed them all through life and they tracked their health. And they, here's what they found out. They said the people who lived the longest were not the people who eat healthy. The people who lived the longest were not the people who exercised. The people who lived the longest were not the people who had low blood pressure, low cholesterol, and all those things that medical science talks about. Instead, what they said was the people who lived the longest were those who had happy, healthy relationships with their wife and with their kids and that are the, those are the people who by and large lived longer than anybody else. Why? Because God made us uh, to have a relationship and he made those relationships to be happy and healthy and it's the only way that you and I are satisfied in life is when our relationships are healthy. You think about this. 
You can be successful in every other matrix of life. But if you've got bad relationships, you're miserable. Am I not right? You can have it all. But if your relationships are no good, guess what? You're miserable. Now, Genesis chapter number 12 and verse number 1. I told you I hadn't forgot. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I'll show thee. And I'll make of thee a great nation and I'll bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing and I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah's wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls of them that had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and came to the land of, and, and came into the land of Canaan, they came. I want us to think for just a few minutes about the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. What I'm going to call their marriage is a stained marriage. And I'll get to why I call it that in just a minute. It's a stained marriage. Can I say to you that every marriage has stressors. Every, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. If Clarence and Wilma was to get up here and go to talking about all the troubles and problems that they'd had through life. No doubt they had a lot of heartaches and a lot of problems and a lot of troubles and a lot of times when the bank account was low and the tempers were high. Every marriage has strains. But Abraham and Sarah, their marriage had a unique stressor. For one thing, Sarah was just too blame pretty. <laughs> that was a problem and that was a problem in their marriage. And it caused, I guess what we could say was Abraham, uh, he did like a lot of us men. He married out of his league. Amen. Some of you ugly men, shake your head up and down. Married a wife that's a lot prettier than you are. Amen. And Abraham did that and it caused him to have a strange sort of backwards jealousy. In other words, uh, he would take her places and make her say that she was his sister in order to keep people from wanting to kill him. That's how pretty he thought she was. He thought she's so pretty, everybody's interested in her. Somebody will kill me in order to be her husband. Let's just make like you're my sister. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that that's a strange relationship? That is an unusual stressor right there, to be married to a woman that you think so pretty that you try to pass her off as your sister. So that's number one. But then another strange thing about their marriage was the fact that Sarah was barren. Now, being in this particular Bible time, being barren really was a significant thing. And no doubt it made her feel low. Uh, no doubt it caused her to feel like she wasn't good enough. Uh, no doubt she decided that she was inferior in one way or another. Uh, and she is, and they're going to make a decision, we're going to talk about it today, uh, that is still affecting us today. Uh, the decision they made, uh, they made a bad decision because Sarah was uh, uh, 
was uh, barren uh, and that's the reason they're fighting in Palestine this morning uh, is the decision that they made uh, and it stained their marriage. But I want to say this to you. A decision. It was a decision that stained their marriage but it did not end their marriage. Now, If you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to this right here. Just because your marriage may be stained does not mean it has to end. When I marriage counsel couples, I tell them this. I always say, I've never seen anything that couldn't be worked through if both sides were willing to work through it. You say, well, what about infidelity? I mean, infidelity is the marriage killer, right? It's the thing that does away with all marriages. Can I tell you, uh, I have helped couples get through infidelity issues uh, because both couple, both of them were willing to work and work through it uh, and be accountable and be faithful and go forward. Uh, I've seen it work out. You say, oh, that'll never work. Yes, it can work too. Uh, I'm just here to tell you, don't throw in the towel so quick. Uh, just because you may have a stained marriage does not mean you have to have an ended marriage. Uh, my friend, there is hope in Christ. Uh, and when both uh, couple, uh, bo- both of the people in the marriage uh, are interested in serving the Lord and working together, there's always hope. I'll give you three things right here that we see and learn from the life of Abraham and Sarah. Number one, The first thing we learn is to take your spouse with you. Now watch it. Abraham, Abraham, God said. Hey, Abraham. Yes, Lord. Got a a little move in plan for you. Matter of fact, pack up all you got. Take off in the desert. I'll let you know when you get there. Well, that's a stretch, isn't it? Abraham's one of the richest men that ever was in the era of Chaldees. I imagine I see as he pulls his camel caravan up in the uh, front of the first uh, bank of Ur and walks out and walks into the bank and tells the bank manager, "Uh, I'd like to have all my money, please, and cash. I'm leaving. (laughs) Oh, I can see him. Mr. Abraham, Mr. Abraham, surely not. (laughs) Oh, let's talk about this thing. Mr. He said, no, uh, I'm leaving. They said, well, we'd be glad to transfer it to the next branch. Let's just keep it in the bank. going. Abraham says, that's the problem. I don't know where I'm going. He said, now what? You're leaving? You don't know where you're going? He said, no, I'm just going to walk right out into the wilderness uh, and I'm going to look for, for a city whose builder and maker is God. Uh, and he never would, by the way, never found that city uh, until he walked into that beautiful city, celestial uh, heaven. Hallelujah. That was the city Abraham was looking for. But he said, I'm leaving. Now, how do you think the conversation went between him and Sarah? Watch this now. Are y'all with me? God didn't call Sarah. God didn't say, hey, Sarah, I need you to leave and go with your husband. No. I imagine it's kind of like, y'all remember that old show, uh, I Love Lucy? You remember what Ricky Ricardo used to always say? He'd say, you got some splaining to do. (laughs) 
you got some splaining. I imagine when Abraham walked in and he looked at Sarah and he said, listen, honey, I know you like this. Our homes made better homes and gardens. We got everything we want right here. But the God of heaven, I mean, he hadn't, they didn't know anything about God. He'd served pagans his whole life. He said, the God of heaven has spoke to my heart and he's told me to strike out into a land where I don't know where I'm going. Oh, don't you know it took some explaining how to persuade Sarah to get to the point where she'd just say, all right, I'm going with you. Here's my point. Abraham wasn't going without Sarah. <laughs> and Sarah wasn't going to let Abraham go by himself. Now this is simple, but you want a, the key, you want the key to a good marriage, and that is you always have one another's back. Hey, when God speaks to one, he speaks to both. You know why? Because you're a couple. You're together. Hallelujah. And so when God speaks to one, he speaks to both of you. And Sarah said, honey, wherever you're going, I'm going. Whatever you're doing, I'm doing. I believe in you, baby. I'm going with you all the way. I'm telling you, over 26 years of pastoring, there's been a lot of times I've said and done things, come up with ideas that Rachel wasn't too sure about. There's been a few times I've had to tell her, let me pastor the church. Amen. Let me pastor. How about you know what she'll do when the rubber meets the road she always says let's go I'm with you baby I believe you're going I believe we're going to do good hey that's the way a marriage works there's got to be a together element it should never be I'm against you you're against me it's a competition no get together pool your money that's right pool your money well, I'm going to have to get Dave Ramsey to come up here and talk to us about the, how marriage should run. Pool your money. You say, well, uh, I'm the breadwinner. I make all the money. <laughs> you know what? My money, the day I got married, was no longer my money. I've explained this to Rachel for years. My money is her money. Her money is her money. It's all her money. (laughs) Huh? Some of you henpeck me and say amen. Come on now. God put me in the position of providing. Now my wife earns a living. She earns a good living. I thank God for it because she's got an addiction to shoes. We promised ourselves in January we're not going to buy any more clothes. And I assumed that meant shoes. Because we got too many clothes. And so we agreed with one another for one year to not buy clothing. But apparently I was not specific enough that clothing included shoes. Because I noticed there was a delivery of shoes at the house this week. But it's a togetherness. It's a backing one another. It's a being there for one another. It's when one has a dream, whether or not you feel it or not, you encourage them and say, hallelujah, I'm with you, baby. Hey, it's always and not allowing anybody else to talk about the other one. My friends, standing up and being strong and being together, that's one thing you can learn 
from Abraham bringing Sarah with him. It speaks of his commitment to Sarah. The Bible said in Mark chapter number 10, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave in his wife. They twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. It speaks of his communication to Sarah. He had to speak to her in order to tell her what it was God was doing. I'm telling you, if there's one area that lacks in almost every marriage, it's that area of communication. Can I give you all some good advice? Can I give you all some good advice? Every night, communicate. Communicate. Every evening when it comes bedtime, Rachel and I lay down in the bed. She lays over on my chest. We talk about the day. We communicate. Find out what's going on with her. A lot of times our lives are busy. A lot of times I'm just running in at the end of the day. I tell her what's happening in my life. She tells me what's happening in her life. It's a system of communication. In order for this marriage to have been successful, Abraham had to tell Sarah what was going on. He didn't just look at her and say, pack up the pickup, we're out of here. No, you know he sat down and explained to her what was going on. So there is the fact that he took her, to, took her, took her with him. Then not only did he take spouse, not only taking your spouse with you, but watch this. We learn from their marriage that thinking together does not always mean thinking correctly. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of y'all in here, somebody be brave enough to tell me and everybody else that you have made the mistake of making a decision without consulting your spouse. Anybody besides me? There's a few honest hearts and a lot of liars in this building. And so that's always a mistake, right? We make a decision without consulting our spouse. Now, for some reason, I can't think of any wrong decisions I've ever made, but I can think of a few that Rachel did. One time we... We were poor, poor, poor when we first got married. And uh, we lived in a little old garage apartment. And when you smiled, your teeth touched the wall on both sides. That's small. And we didn't have enough room. So I came home from work one day, and she'd been watching an infomercial. And she said, oh, baby, I've saved us. I've saved us. I'm going to save us a ton of space. And I ordered us some space bags. I said, what in the world's a space bag? Well, it's a big Ziploc bag that you stick, stick your, like your winter clothes in when it's summertime, and then you put the vacuum on it, and it sucks it down to where it's about this big, and you can slide it under the bed. And so she did for the next two weeks. Suck down all the winter clothes, all of the comforters, Packed them neatly under the bed. I mean, you couldn't even hardly see. Not even an inch of space. We got in the bed that night, and I'm laying there, and I hear something going, (laughs) and I said, what is that? She said, I don't know. All night long, 
When we woke up in the morning, it had lifted the bed off the frame. We were literally laying on a pile of winter clothes that had decompressed in the space bags. And over the last 25 years, every time she starts to make an impulse buy, I say, space bags, baby, that's space bags. <laughs> you know that's just space bags. That's all that is, space bags. But sometimes, so you ought to always consult someone else, your spouse, before you make a big decision. Can we all agree with that? But did you know sometimes we can consult our spouse and even though we've made the decision together, we can still make the wrong decision. Look what the Bible said in Genesis chapter number 16 and verse number 1. The Bible said, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee. Go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain child by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. You see, they, they got their heads together. They came up with a plan. They talked to each other, but they still come up with a, a wrong answer. You know why? Because every decision that's made in your home shouldn't involve just two people. It ought to involve three people. And that is you, your spouse, and the God of heaven, I'll tell you what they failed to do. They didn't get down and say, oh God, what would you have us to do about this? Had they done that, God might have spoke to them and said, just wait. I'm going to give you a, a baby through Sarah. Just, uh, just be patient. Just be faithful. But instead, they did not consult God. They only consulted with one another and they made a bad decision that brought a stain on their marriage and that is still affecting the world today. Let me say this, any major decision in your family ought to include you, your spouse, and the Lord every time. You had not to make any decision without praying about it. I'll go a step farther than that. You had not to make major decisions without asking somebody else. You know, the Bible tells the book of Proverbs that in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And so you ought to seek out someone that's got more spiritual maturity than you. Somebody that's been down the road before. Uh, somebody that knows what they're talking about. Uh, and ask them and say, listen, listen. Uh, what should we do about this? Because you and your spouse might make a bad decision. I couldn't tell you how many people I've sat across from in my office. And them say, preacher, we've talked about it. And we're leaving the church. We've decided that this is what's best for our family. And I'm telling you, in all these years, I've never seen one family that it worked. I'm honest. I've never seen one family that it worked out good for. Not one. Not even one out of the hall of the people that in all these years I've seen walk out those doors uh, who came to the decision as a husband and wife. I've not seen it. I've not seen it work out one time. You know why? Because while they consulted one another, they failed to consult the Lord. Now, I know that's old fashioned. Our day, we got all these self-help books and all these 
different systems to go through, all these different plans and organizing. But if we ain't careful, and I'm not against all that, but if we're not careful, we can organize the Lord right out of it. We ought never make a decision without seeking God first. Can I give you my third one? So number one, the number one lesson we learn is Abraham brought Sarah with him. Number two is that just because you think together does not mean your thinking's right. But number three is this. We learn from the marriage of Abraham and Sarah that in order to keep the peace, sometimes you got to take the hit. I want to show you something interesting. Genesis chapter number 21, verse number 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, that's the other son of Abraham, who she had born unto Abraham mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be the heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman and all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now you want to talk about a hard decision. Here here Abraham has another son. You know he loved him. Sarah said, you want our relationship to stay together? Get rid of that son. That's tough. A lot of things he could have said right there. He could have looked at Sarah and said, "Uh uh-uh, this is your fault. You made this mess. You're the one that come up with this idea. If if you hadn't come up with this idea, we, we wouldn't be in this mess. But ain't what he said. He could have said, no. He's my son, and my son comes before anybody else. That's not what he said. God said, put them away to salvage the marriage that I put you in. Now, this is hard preaching, but it's Bible preaching. We live in an age where our allegiances are all messed up. Don't even get me started on how people treat animals like dogs or like, like children. They don't treat them like dogs, children like children. Them fur babies. I love my dogs. Y'all know how I love my dogs, but they ain't my babies. And dogs have been sleeping outside for thousands of years, and suddenly if we don't bring them inside when it gets below 30 degrees, we're bad people. Anyway, but then we have an altered view of relationships in our home. I'm going to make a statement right here. If you're married, the number one person in your life ought to be whoever it is you're married to. You say, oh, not me. My kids come first, and that's going to cause you marital problems because it's not the way the Bible laid it out. I didn't make rules. I'm just, telling you what the, I'm just telling the Bible. The Bible said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. Never said that about the children. 
The Bible tells the husband to love his wife even as Christ loved the church. Never told, never said that about the children. You know why? Because the only way your children can be happy, and God knew it, he knew the only way the children could be happy was for mom and daddy to put one another first and love one another. And when there's a happy home between mom and daddy, then the children are happy. It's the only way it works out. If you put the kids first, you're going to have marital trouble. Marital trouble causes a bad home for your kids. They call, hey, it's nothing but trouble when you get out of God's way of doing things. God has a particular way of doing things. And that's to put the spouse first. And then the children come after that. That's the Bible way. I knew it'd get quiet right there because people, well, I tell you, we live in an age where nobody believes that. Well, my children come before my marriage. Well, you, your marriage is going to bust up, and then where does that leave your children? And let me run this by you. One of these days, I'm living, I'm starting to live what I'm preaching right here. One of these days, all them kids are going to leave home. And when that, when that happens, guess what you've got? All you've got left is the relationship you've built with your spouse. How many, how many, how many, how many couples do you know that bust up when the kids leave home because the only thing they had in common between them was their children? That was the only thing they had in common. And so when the children leave, they've got nothing to talk about. They've got nothing in common anymore. That's all gone. Hey, I'm telling you, if you want to have a good relationship into your 50-something 50, 50 years uh, and into your 80s, well, 80s of years, uh, my friend, if you want to have that kind of relationship, uh, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to build a good relationship now Oh, I'm not saying love your children. I, you know me, I love my kids. I, I'm there for my kids. I, but my kids have always understood that, that they took a second seat to Rachel because she's the one God put in my life. I, and it's what I expect out of Trey. Trey, I, I know he loves his mom and daddy. I, but we ought to take a second seat to what Monica wants. I, you know why? Because that is the design of God. That's the way the family works. He could have come up with all kinds of excuses. But here was his level of commitment to his marriage. He said, I'll do whatever it takes to make my marriage work. I'm going to statement right here and I'm going to give all the call. If you say, ah, that's too much. I don't think I'd do that to work my marriage. You're, you're in too deep. In too deep. You got to be the place where you're like, you know what? <laughs> my marriage is primary. And I'll be honest with y'all this morning. All I know to do is just be honest. For years, I confused, this is to my detriment. For years, I confused pastoring y'all with serving the Lord. Now, I want, just, I want to explain to you what I mean. My relationship with God is number one. Right? But I thought, Bobby, because my relationship with God was number one, that that meant if anybody stumped their toe and went to the hospital, even if I had to forsake my wife and kids, I had to go check on them because that, that had to do with my relationship with God. God has since taught me different. I love y'all, but the church comes after my, my home. It, it just does. You know why? Because guess what? If I don't have a marriage, I don't have church. 
I got to have a marriage to have church. If y'all, if y'all want a pastor that's effective and can, and can be a help and a blessing to you, then I've got to have a happy, healthy all. And so after God, my home has to come number two. It's the only way it'll work. Then the church comes number three. You see what I'm saying? But the home has to be that important. I got a book. It's a friend of mine. I wrote a lot of books, and he always sends me a free one. I don't know why. Anytime he writes a new book, he sends me a free one. He says, uh, just read this. Tell me what you think. And he wrote a book called Next. And the whole book is about how to determine where God, when God wants you to move from one ministry to another. And he said, that in this, he said this in that book. He said, when your family is being heard, it's time to move. Because your family is the most important thing that God has ever given you. Some of you men need to look at your wives that way. Some of you men need to look at your wives and say, that's the most important thing to me on the planet. Nothing's more important. Nothing. Nothing on this planet. Is, and some of you wives need to look at your husbands and say, that right there is my hero. That's my knight in shining armor. That's the one that I, I, I trust in and believe in to lead our home spiritually. And I love him with all my heart. And nothing is any more important than him and my relationship with him. We'll let everything else go. So long as our relationship is strong. I'm done right here. I promise. There have been times when I've done things that's caused some of y'all to hate my guts. You've not been happy with it. You've been ill with it. It's happened a bunch. It's going to happen. When you pastor a church, you're going to upset people. But you know who I went home with? That little blonde sitting back there in the sound room. No, she did. She said, I love you, baby. You're doing great. Stay with it. Don't worry about what they say. Everything's going to be all right. You're doing the right thing. You know what? That relationship, I love all of y'all. The relationships I have with you is important, but none of them is as important as the relationship that I have with her. Every other relationship pales in comparison, and that's the way it's got to be if you want to have a happy, healthy home. So, Starting this first Sunday in February, I wonder how many, I'm going to give all recall, and I wonder how many couples that we could have that just take each other's hand, walk down this aisle, find their way around this altar, and say, God, open our hearts this month. Open our hearts to what it takes to be a happy, healthy marriage. We want a marriage that lasts 57 years. What does it take? Lord, open our hearts to understand what you want out of our home. We're standing to our feet. Justice is coming. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, God, that you'd strengthen our homes. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, to be like Abraham and Sarah always together. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to always include you in our decision-making. I pray, Lord, that you would 
uh, that, that we would always, always have our relationship with our spouses as the priority, not anything else, but those relationships as the priority. Lord, you can help our church today by helping our homes. I pray, God, that you'd do a work around this altar that would pay eternal dividends. Do that now as only you can in Jesus' name.